What a great morning in worship and a love just to think about and sing on uh, the love of God and just the richness of that in our souls and uh, that His love would flow through us. I shared a couple weeks ago about Psalm 36, 8, that the, uh, God's love is faithful and abundant. Uh, and he talks about the rivers of God's uh, uh, delight flowing through us, the delight. Uh, and when I think about His love and our soul, uh, my prayer for us is that God's love would just flow through us. Uh, like a river, uh, and then flow out uh, from us. Uh, we've had a couple of fantastic weeks around here with our kids. Pam led, uh, and so many of you are a part of active junior camp. And then uh, this last week, uh, Diana and a whole crew of people led uh, our active camp for our children. And so I know so many of you had kids that participated and were part of it. And I uh, just love what God did and thinking about the armor of God and, and helping our children to know uh, what it is already to be protected uh, by God's armor. Uh, so would you pray uh, for our children uh, that the things they were taught uh, will be sealed in them uh, as in an ongoing way, that it won't just be a week and you move on, but whatever it is that God did, uh, that it would be there and it would be a, another spot where they have grown and increased in their love for God. Uh, and then tonight... We have 180-plus students leaving for camp uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, so if you could pray for them. And, uh, you know, some people, it's interesting on camp. Some people talk about camp highs and things that happen with their kids and so forth, and uh, and then it goes away or whatever. But, uh, you know, we would expect there would be a high when you go to camp. Like, that's a plus. Uh, and the way I've always thought about camps or weekend retreats for adult, whatever it is, that, that there's at least a few moments where you're getting rid of all the distractions and you can really hone in on who God is and who Christ is. Uh, and so we pray for that. But I think about our walk with Christ like this. We're walking along steadily and you hit a camp experience or something like that. And it's kind of like you get this big boost up and that we're going to come down off that mountain eventually. Uh, and we come down, that you at least come down higher than you were before. So that over a lifetime of those kinds of experiences, your steadiness has gone from here to here, but it's had all this in between that's kind of bumped us along the way. So we pray that for our kids, that, that they will be uh, just met by God in mesmerizing ways uh, that just cause them to accelerate and advance in their love for Christ and, and following after Him. So we want to pray for those things. And then I, I don't, as a norm, ask you to pray personal things for our family, uh, but today I would like to do that. Lisa and I had a biking accident last week, and uh, she broke her kneecap, among several other things, and uh, she needs surgery within seven to ten days of when the accident happened on Wednesday. We have a visit with the doctor tomorrow, so if you could just pray uh, for the doctor and surgery room opening, all the kinds of things, you know that. A lot of you have had so many things happen to you as well, so... Uh, but we just, we just wanted to ask you to, to pray uh, in that. She has a lot of road rash, so if you could pray for against infection and so forth, that would be uh, appreciated. We're just grateful for our church family, and uh, we get to walk with you, and thank you for graciously walking uh, with us. I want us to think this morning uh, about forgiveness, uh, and forgiveness can be incredibly difficult uh, depending on uh, the offense uh, or the hurt Uh, towards us. Uh, It can also be difficult to forgive uh, when we see someone we love hurt by someone. 
So, so forgiveness uh, brings freedom, uh, and unforgiveness, if we let it linger in there very long, uh, will end up turning into resentment, bitterness. Uh, it gives Satan a stronghold. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's speaking to them, and as he does, he says to them, look, if you don't forgive this person that he's referring to, then Satan's going to take advantage of your unforgiveness. So Satan is just looking for unforgiveness as a foothold to get into our lives, to create a bitterness in our flesh uh, that will actually rob us of a joy and a, and a freedom and a life that God has designed for us. Now, it can be difficult to love people that we love deeply, to forgive them. It, it can be even more difficult to forgive people that are just flat difficult to forgive. And that's the level I want us to think about forgiveness, why it would extend to any person that we need to forgive. I want us to think about the most difficult people per our passage in Acts chapter 7. How, how hard it must be for families in Uvalde that lost their children uh, to a gunman to forgive that person. How difficult it must be for generations of Cambodians to forgive Pol Pot for the millions that were slaughtered in his regime. How difficult it must be for anyone that knows someone in the Holocaust to think about six million Jews being killed. How difficult it must be to forgive any person here that has been personally abused by a family member or a friend in whatever way, emotionally, physically, sexually. The, the difficulty in that is immense when we've been hurt deeply. How tough it must be for Ukrainians that are believers to forgive Putin in the Russian military that is attacking them. So how do we do that? How, how do we respond to that? We've been thinking about this part of Acts as responses, different ways to respond to different scenarios as Christians. Uh, and what I'd like for us to think about in these moments is forgiving the most difficult people. And, and that's kind of our big idea this morning. Now, we've seen Stephen play out in three parts now. Jordan talked about him a few weeks ago. I talked about him. Jermaine talked about him last week. I'm back to finish up Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. We see that he was chosen as a man. He was full of faith, full of wisdom, full of power. Uh, he was uh, taken to task by the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers of the day. Um, and then he responds to the attacks with God's story. He just responds by speaking of the history of God and what God has done. And now we find the response of those he spoke God's story to, uh, and their response is not good. Now, we don't often do this. I'm, I'm, uh, I, when we do share the God story with someone, my hunch is we don't follow it up with what Stephen followed up when he shared God's story. Because he looked him in the eye and said, you're stiff-necked, 
and you continue to resist the Holy Spirit of God, you're no different than the murderers and betrayers that have come before you, that have persecuted the prophets of the coming righteous one, Jesus. I mean, that's usually not an evangelism technique that we teach. Here, share this, and then look them in the eye, you stiff-necked, stubborn person. But you know, it probably wouldn't be bad to do that every once in a while. And candidly, we're, we're in the midst of, and I was in this a few days ago, and I thought about the same. We're in the midst of a lot of highly successful people that are challenged often. I don't know that it would be bad to just look somebody in the eye and challenge them for people to be challenged. We get challenged all the time. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be actually kind to look a friend in the eye and say, look, your heart is hard against Jesus. You've been stubborn and rebellious against him. I can't fix or change your heart, but I tell you what, can we just own it together today that your heart's hard and you're resisting the Spirit of God? And let's pray that it'll change your heart. I don't know that that would be a bad thing. You would certainly want to know you're being led by the Spirit of God in those moments. But that might be what someone needs to hear. Well, some people will respond well, some won't. Stephen said this, and it, it didn't go well for him. Uh, and he actually gives us then a beautiful model of how to forgive people uh, that are difficult for us. So I'd like to do an, uh, an, a back and forth here in 54th through uh, the end of the chapter, and then briefly look at the first three verses of chapter 8. But, but who are those most difficult people in verse 54? I would start by saying it's those who are mad at us. Uh, and now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Uh, so Stephen says this to them. This is their response. Now that phrase, cut to the quick, we've seen it in our study of Acts already. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Peter had just preached this phenomenal sermon about Christ, Christ crucified, Christ risen, uh, and the way to him. And it says that they were pierced to the heart. In other words, they were cut to the quick. That's what that means. Their hearts were pierced. They were, they were cut open by what they heard. And, and what they responded to in Acts chapter 2, they said, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, and then you'll be saved. 3,000 of them took that challenge. Their hearts were challenged, and 3,000 of them repented on that day. But just a few chapters later... Same big message delivered, this time pierced to the heart, but not wondering what do we do, instead fiercely angry. They were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. There was a rage about them. What does that look like today in America? George Yancey is a sociology professor at Baylor University. And in a 2019 article, so this, keep in mind, this is three years ago. Uh, he wrote this as an article at the Gospel Coalition. 
and he did a survey on people's attitudes towards American Christians today. And here's four responses among many that he received on their attitude towards American Christians. One person said, kill them all. Let their gods sort them out. Another one said, a torturous death would be too good for them. A third one said, I'd be a bit giddy, certainly grateful, if everyone who saw himself or herself in that category as Christian were permanently snatched from our societal peripheries, whether by holocaust or rapture or plague. A fourth one said, I'm only too well aware of their horrific attitudes and beliefs, the Christians. And those are enough to make me see them as subhuman. Three years ago, a survey done on attitudes towards American Christians. Some of the most difficult people to forgive today would be those who are mad and angry at us and expressing it. So how do we forgive them? Stephen starts to give us a tip in verses 55 and 56. And I would frame it this way. The way we can forgive difficult people is to gaze on God's glory. Verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, verse 56. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Let's go back to verse 55. And let's look at how, because this is how you and I can forgive difficult people the same way that Stephen did. Now, he was full of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that already, that descriptor of him. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of power, full of faith. Now, that doesn't have to be uniquely Stephen. That's available to every person that's a follower of Jesus. So the first thing we would note then, if if we're going to forgive, it requires us to be full of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Because forgiveness, especially for the difficult things, is supernatural. That will never be something we can muster on our own. Hurts are too deep. Only God can do that. So full of the Holy Spirit means that we're yielded to the Spirit's control. And Paul writes later, and he would say that we're either under the control of the flesh, our pride, our self-centeredness, or we're under the control of the Spirit. To be full of this, we're full of something. The way we can actually forgive is be full of the Spirit. And when we're full of the Spirit, then our gaze is somewhere different than on the hurts against us. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. Now in Acts 6.15, when we were talking about Stephen a little bit earlier, it says he was standing before the Sanhedrin, those who were falsely accusing him. And as he stood before them, they fixed their gaze on him. Now, I know he would have looked them in the eye as he unfolded God's story back to them. But here, while they're gazing at him, he's not looking back at them. He's taking his gaze into the heavens. 
And I actually think that's one of the key pieces to be able to forgive difficult people is to get our gaze off of the difficult person and put our gaze on God himself, on the glory of God. As long as we dwell on the hurt and on the person and keep looking at them and expect something out of them, it'd be really difficult to forgive them, but get our eyes off of them and our eyes on God, His glory, full of the Spirit, and gazing on God's glory, He shifted His gaze. Paul would write in Colossians 3, 2, to set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth. We're constantly told to get our mindset on Christ, get our mindset on the things above. Now, in verse 55, it says Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. People make a a big deal out of that. We don't see that in the scriptures. We usually see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Here's Stephen, who will become the first martyr for the faith. And now Jesus is standing. And that carries with the idea that he is either welcoming Stephen. Just like if you came over to our house, I wouldn't sit in a chair by the door and say, come on in. I would get out of the chair, stand there, and I would welcome you in. It's like Jesus is standing, ready to welcome Stephen to himself. It could be that he's assuring Stephen that he's advocating for him in this moment as he prepares him to come home. His gaze is above The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and and let us run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, for people who love to memorize Scripture, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is one that will often show up in Scripture memory plans. And I I don't know that very often verse 3 is tied in there to memorize. Forever, I just hung out in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then, I can't remember how, but I saw verse 3. I thought, oh... That, that needs to connect in here to verses 1 and 2. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. How do I forgive? I put my gaze on the cross in what Jesus did on the cross And I consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. There is no There's no person that will be so difficult to us as was difficult to Jesus. So what he went through, we we meditate, we gaze, we think on what Jesus did at the cross. That's how we, it's part of gazing on God's glory is the way he glorified himself through his son and giving him up on the cross. And that's how we endure. That's how we do good and that's how we forgive. The most difficult by keeping our gaze on the glory of God. By being immersed in the word of God. And being led by the spirit of God. Then we can forgive. 
I think another way we gaze is to get into the outdoors and to gaze under the beauty of who God is in the outdoors. This last week, we, Lisa and I were in Colorado and doing a destination wedding. I've mentioned this is my third one. I've, I'm, I've actually, I love these destination weddings. I, I think it's a really great idea. So uh, <laughs> anybody else that you want to do that, you feel free. I'm game. Uh, I, I can arrange my schedule and I'd be delighted to be a part of it. But it's just been a gift to be a part of the ones that I've been a part of. And this past week in Colorado, I was on the top of uh, one of the mountains, 11,000 feet up. And just spectacular scenery, you know, behind the, the bride and groom. And uh, I don't get to watch it. Doing it. I'm going this way. Everybody else is looking at it. But I, I got a preview. And then going down on the gondola at midnight, the star, they told us, look at the stars. And I mean, it was just majestic seeing the stars blanket the dark night in that gondola ride down the mountain. At least I'd also e-biked up, and this is, the, the, the ride down didn't go so well, but we had a great time going up. We read Psalm 104, sitting by a river, and I would just encourage you to tuck away Psalm 104 anytime you're in the mountains, and just hover there. And look at the beauty and the way that God describes it through the psalmist. And everything we were in the midst of, as we were e-biking down the road, I I was just in my mind, I was meditating on Psalm 104, and I I sort of felt like the dog I saw this morning coming to church. And and, and I just started laughing when I was driving up. There was a car in front of me that their sunroof was open, and their big old Weimaraner dog head was sticking out, and the ears were flapping back against the wind. And I love that. I I like hanging my head out the window. Uh, I just love the wind. And when I was biking down this mountain uh, road, uh, the wind is just coming, and I'd read Psalm 104, and I was just looking to God saying, God, I love this. The clouds uh, are your chariot, and the, the winds are your messengers, and you're the one that has caused the mountains to rise and the valleys to sink and the rivers to flow. Every bit of this is yours, and I feel so safe in the midst of who you are and what you've done. Just gazing on his glory. We're always safe in Jesus, no matter what else occurs. And we gaze on His glory. It's a gaze, not a glance. It's not glancing at the Word. It's not glancing at creation. It's not glancing at the cross. It's gazing at the cross. It's gazing at the glory and beauty of God's creation. It's gazing intently in the word of God. Then we can forgive. And we gaze at the glory of God. Well, he says to them what he's seeing, and now they're really hacked. Because really what he's saying is, I want you guys to know Jesus is on my side. Because this is what I'm seeing right now. 
So their response, and I'd say when we think about forgiving the most difficult people, uh, some of those difficult people are our enemies. They're those who are mad at us. Sometimes they can be one and the same. Those who are enemies in verses 57 and 58. Now the mob mentality is coming in, but they cried out with a loud voice. So they're, they're hollering, and they covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. I mean, they're just coming at Stephen. So here he is looking into the heavens. His gaze is on the glory of God, and now he's being attacked by the mob. They're coming at him. It's loud, and they've covered their ears. I love what one guy said to me. He goes, it's almost like a bunch of kindergartners who just got told they don't get to go out to recess. It's like, cover your ears up. No, tell me it's not true that we're not going outside today. And they just go on the attack. In verse 58, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes as the feet of a young man named Saul. This is our first introduction to Saul, who later has a name shift to Paul, being one of the most prolific followers of Christ that we've ever known. But he's not there yet. There was a formal way that stoning took place. If it was set up, they knew this was going to happen, this was the punishment. They would take the person, push them out of the city, strip their clothes off, throw them off a cliff, and then a large stone would be rolled on top of them. If that didn't kill them, then they'd roll a second stone until it killed the person. This was not a formal stoning. And instead of Stephen being stripped of his clothes, it says the witness, these who were stoning him, they took their clothes off. It's almost like they needed to free themselves up so they could toss a little harder. These were Stephen's enemies. Who are our enemies today? I think there's incredible things that happen through social media. And there's a lot of positive influence and Christ-like influence being used. But we also find a lot of enemies out there in the social media world and the influencers who are actively opposed to Christ in so many different ways. We have politicians that we would look out there and their particular viewpoints are such that we probably see them as enemies to the faith. If we bring it down a little more personal, there are spouses today who are enemies and ex-spouses that are enemies. There's, there's parent-child relationships that have become, uh, have really become enemies, and some candidly over faith. King David would write in the Old Testament that one of his closest friends betrayed him, became an enemy. Maybe it's a friend that you can't even believe that they turned on you this way. So when we think about difficult people to forgive, 
our enemies are difficult to forget. Whether it's an ideological enemy, a group, mob, enemy, or a person with a name that's an enemy. This week it was, it was fantastic news from the Supreme Court in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. As a Christian, from a biblical perspective, what we believe about life in the womb, that's fantastic news. And we celebrate that. We anticipated that a few weeks ago by having Rollin Warren here to speak on Memorial Day weekend. And I would encourage you, if you missed that day, to go back and to listen to what he said. Uh, and I, I was so grateful for the things that he shared with us. in ways that we can actively engage well with people moving ahead as Christians. How do we disciple? How do we pull people in? Well, I was watching the news last night, and I've been a little distracted the last few days, but last night I watched the news, and, and I did a whole segment on Roe v. Wade and, and the effect of the decision and so forth, and I'm watching, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, are they going to say anything about people who actually think this was a good decision? I watched protesters, I watched a council member uh, at a city in Austin say, you know what, we know it's the law, we're going to take the call, but then we're just going to ignore it. Oh, okay. I watched people with a mob mentality beating on the windows of, uh, of buildings in Washington, D.C. I listened to our president Catholic, who should hold to the sanctity of life in the womb. Talk about he's going to do everything he can from a federal law perspective, protect women's reproductive rights. I watched women protest, screaming, my body, my choice. I couldn't help but think of 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And I understand that if someone's not a Christian... They might not see it this way, but as a Christian, that, that doesn't work. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And my heart really just broke as I, as I watched people just advocating for the death of children. And, and they see Christians as the enemy, and I suspect many Christians see them as the enemy. I think about Nebuchadnezzar often in Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And Nebuchadnezzar was really prideful. And God humbled him. He, he took him out of the way for seven years. But this is what's so stark in my mind in that story. Not his pride, not his, uh, his lack of any love for God, but what stuck, sticks out to me is that 
it says he looked up to the heavens and rationality returned to him. See, we're, we're irrational. There's, a, there's delusion everywhere. But when we look towards God, then rationality returns. So we just want to beg God that people would look to him and that rational thinking would return. And, and there's so much more ahead in this. This decision's fantastic. But how do we forgive states that are going to be safe havens for people to travel and have abortions? How do we forgive companies that many of you work for that will provide the resources so people can make that travel across the state lines? It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But Jesus, in Matthew 6, 44, I'm sorry, 544, says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what do we do for what's going on right now? We, we pray and we love. And I want to pause and do that. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to, I want to pause and pray. And, and can I just cheer you on that when you see things in the news, when you see things in social media, whatever your, your feeds are, that, that you would pause and pray. And so I'd, I'd like for us to do that, just like Jesus said. So, Father, I pray today and thank you for uh, just your goodness in that decision this week. And uh, it's just, uh, just grateful for the courage of those justices uh, to do what they did. And then I also understand that other people look at that and uh, believe they just uh, set our country back and that the global community believes we've set the globe back. I, I love that we have that much influence. Uh, and so, God, I, I just pray today for all those who are actively opposed to you and actively opposed to life in the womb. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just draw their hearts to yourself. That, that somehow their eyes would get off of their anger and the people they're looking at, and that you would turn their gaze towards you. Turn your gaze towards the cross. Turn your gaze, their gaze towards your power, towards your life. And Father, I pray that uh, company leaders that are making decisions, politicians that are making decisions, uh, that you'll give uh, those who are helpful to life uh, the courage and the resolution uh, to lead that way. I pray, God, those who are actively seeking to continue uh, a culture of death, God, that you would change their hearts and restore them, God, to yourself. Draw them to yourself, God. I pray, Father, for those who've had abortions, that they'll just be compassion towards them and that they would know your forgiveness and love for them, God. I pray, Father, you'll help us to grieve well. Um, babies who are um, no longer because they were uh, taken from the womb. God, I pray uh, that you'll just give us as a church a boldness and a courage uh, to embrace and walk with people well, uh, that with their children and in their pregnancies and 
where challenges are. Help us, God, be a people who just get in and serve one another really, really well. God, thank you for extending your forgiveness to us. Help us extend it to others and turn all of our gaze to you, God, so that we'd have a life-giving culture. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is what Stephen did. He prayed. So when we think about forgiving the most difficult people, there's a fourth part to this in verses 59 and 60, and it's to imitate the prayers of Jesus. Now, now we've talked about uh, praying Scripture. This is exactly what Stephen does. Sometimes we don't know what to pray or what to say. We're always safe when we pray the Scriptures back to God. Now, Stephen wouldn't have had the Scriptures yet. They weren't written yet. But it was being passed down, the things that Jesus said. And obviously what he said on the cross was significant and was passed down. Because here Stephen is in a similar moment of Jesus, and he simply imitates the prayers of Jesus. Verse 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Well, when we go back to Luke 23, 46, it says that Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So here's Stephen. It's while he's being stoned. I don't know about you, but I think my tendency would be to look at where the next rock is coming from. But his gaze is still on God, and it's to Jesus he's talking, the one who's standing there that he's seen in heaven. And he's saying to him, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit in the same way Jesus had. Verse 60. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. A loud voice. Think about what's happening to him, and still there was enough in him to loudly say, Father, do not hold this sin against them. He's still not looking at them. He's asking God to be merciful on them and to not hold this sin against them. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, mostly the enemies for us are not another person. People don't know what they're doing. Satan is a deceiver, an attacker, and a liar. And he brings a delusional spirit. So you can't see. Scripture says the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving. It ought to cause our heart to more break for them and have compassion on them because they've been blinded by the evil one. Jesus was full of the Spirit. Stephen, the same. Same access for me and you. Our hearts are revealed in moments like these. Our hearts are tested when someone hurts us, speaks against us, or someone we love. It will reveal our hearts. Will we have the heart of Jesus reflected in the heart of Stephen to forgive and release? On June 15th, in a Breakpoint article, it's titled, Forgiveness is Not an Act of Weakness. He talks in the article that forgiveness, gentleness, compassion, that sometimes people see that as signs of weakness. 
And then he talks about forgiveness and reconciliation being different. And I, I think this is crucial here. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Reconciliation requires two parties. Forgiveness doesn't require two parties. We're talking about forgiveness, not reconciliation. We're not pretending that the evil doesn't exist. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness may involve asking for forgiveness from ideological opponents. It could be in our zeal against an ideological opponent that we've actually sinned against them. That would call for asking for forgiveness. And then he goes on to say what it does involve is foregoing vengeance while seeking justice and extending love to those who are extending hate. Now those three pieces are hard to put together. In Romans 12, Scripture says God's the one who will do vengeance. That's not your job. That's not my job. God will take care of that. He's a God of justice. He'll do it His way, His time. So we forego vengeance. We still seek justice, and we extend love to those who hate us. That can only be done supernaturally. Relaxing and leaning into the glory of God and rooted in Christ. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, we find how we can actually pull this off. It's a reiteration what we've already spoken of, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's a continual thinking on how God in Christ has forgiven us. It's a continual thinking and reckoning of my own heart's ugliness. And I'm no better than the ugliness of somebody else's heart. And by God's grace and mercy, He's forgiven me. At the wedding that I did the other night, it was, it was encouraging in so many ways. It's incredibly substantive, the two people that were getting married, their relationship with Christ and now, the young man is 23 years old. He trusted Christ in 2020, right before COVID hit. He, in turn, led another guy to Christ. A couple of guys in his wedding party actually got him to the guy that led him to Christ. I, mean, I thought, I'm living in a whole disciples thing. It's here. I'm going to get you over here, and then I'm going to lead him. And I, they wanted me to just plainly share the gospel, and so I did. I, I laid out the gospel plainly in their wedding. Afterwards, these three girls come to me and they said, we really liked how you shared the gospel. And so I started asking them their story and they went to UT. This was a whole UT kind of wedding. So I really had to consider my audience and um, drop my A&M stuff for just a brief bit. I thought at somebody's wedding, I should honor uh, their university. And I, it's stunning. I found about five Christians from UT. I mean, my, my whole world... <clears throat> 
is just <clears throat> kind of blew up a little bit as I was talking to these people. I thought, wow. <laughs> these three girls, when they stepped onto the UT campus their freshman year, all lost. A group of students from, a, from an organization called STUMO uh, shared the gospel with them. All three of them trusted Christ their first semester at UT. And they're juniors or seniors now. They're serving in this ministry, leading others to Christ. You see, there's just a joy in them. We started talking, and I actually know somebody that's training them right now in Orlando. And I thought, oh, wow. And so we talked about that. And then a, one of the guys in the wedding party uh, is with Stumo also, and he's doing that. And then somebody this morning came to me for the, uh, they went to UT and, uh, years ago, and they talked to me about Stumo. And I thought, God, I, start, I love what God's doing through this bunch. But you see, for each of them, they, they first have had this encounter with Jesus, recognizing their own sin. Christ died on the cross for them. He paid the price. He canceled the debt. And he offers forgiveness. And that offer comes only through Christ on the cross. And once we receive that, it would seem the only thing we have left to do is to do the same. It's reflecting on Jesus. One way to think about forgiveness, to know if you've forgiven someone, is if you hold the memory against them. That would be a sign of unforgiveness. To know you've forgiven, it doesn't mean you forgot something that was done. It means you no longer hold that against them. You no longer bring that up again. That's dead and buried, covered at the cross, and that's good enough for the two of us. It's covered. Whether you choose to reconcile with me or not, things might be such that the reconciliation is difficult. It may be that another person doesn't want to, but I can still forgive and release you. And I may have to be reminded day in and day out of what Jesus did so that I can Re-forgive today if it crops back up. Forgiveness is difficult. Just a quick summary of chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Saul was in hearty agreement of the stoning of Stephen. Everybody now gets scattered out. The Christians get scattered out. Actually, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 starts to be fulfilled. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Paul was trying to eliminate the Christian movement, and instead he scattered it and fell right into the plan of God. Just like seed, the gospel goes out, crosses barriers, cities, the gospel's for everybody to consider. Saul, one of the greatest disruptors of early Christianity, becomes one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ. When we look at society today, let's pray that some of the greatest disruptors that are the most difficult to forgive will one day be some of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we've been talking about being outside our comfort zone to forgive difficult people is outside that comfort zone. 
by God's grace towards us, may He give us the grace towards those that need to be forgiven. Let's pray together. And as we do, I want you to just think about uh, has God raised up anybody in your mind or any group of people that the same kind of forgiveness Stephen extended, the same kind of forgiveness that we received from Christ that needs to be extended from you today? So just before God himself, I would just say to God, Lord Jesus, I forgive so-and-so. I forgive this group of people, and I need your supernatural help to do it because I actually probably don't want to. But I, I can't do anything else because you've so graciously forgiven me. So let this be moments to consider. What, what is it in your own relationships that God might be saying something to you on this day?